Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. to the Wise Men's Day podcast, another game and another failure to win for Sunderland. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> felt, it always feels like a defeat when we fail to win, doesn't it? Especially at home. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, when such you're a, rubbish. When you are rubbish. Um, we are joined tonight by George Colgan, now at The Athletic. Hello. Hi. I'm going to be the cheery one, <laughs> which never happens. Mm. <laughs> I was, do you know, my nickname at the time was the Pope of Mope. So maybe maybe this is appropriate. I should be. Was that connected to a specific era of northeast football? All of it, just all of it, yeah, all just of generally, time. Yeah, just yeah, never, never really. Twenty-one years, never really improved. Is that we've we've no. we've got some Twitter questions, and we'll, we'll get to them soon. But uh, a lot of people are asking, just too many to name, really, about um, the national coverage of of what's happening at, at Sunderland. So, um, what was your? I know. Some people might be aware you've put something out for your, the Athletic this week and you went along to the match on Saturday and you just had a... Um, you put the message out about how, how disappointing and how worrying things are at the moment. Well, so one of the reasons I wanted to join the Athletic was because it gave me the chance to um, to do more Sunderland and do more Middlesbrough and do more Newcastle for that matter. But um, I'm very conscious that I hadn't done a lot of that over the last couple of years and I think I've probably done more more pieces um in the last sort of three or four months about Sunderland than I'd than I'd have done over two years. And that's I mean, unfortunately that is kind of goes with the territory because of the division Sunderland are in. Now the the great thing about and I'm not plugging plugging the athletic, but the, the great thing about it is that if people want to read about the club, then there's a market for it and we'll do it. I mean, that's the nice thing. It doesn't matter what division uh, the team are in. And of course, I've got no restraints on time or space or anything like that because it's a kind of a web a web-based thing and an app and stuff like that. And so I've really enjoyed that. I haven't enjoyed the overall context because it's obviously been shit. Um, but it did feel it did feel like the moment to go to the stadium and um, try and get a feel for it. And you know, I'd spoken to you um, in the in the last kind of couple of weeks and tried to get your take on it and not go there as an expert on what's happening because I can't. You know, I, I would never claim to be able to do that. But I did want to go and record it and record how it felt and record what people are saying about the club at the minute and. Well, it wasn't good. I mean, well, to contextualise the game, obviously, you know, you, you were there a lot more frequently in the Premier League. Yeah. But this season, you've probably seen a couple of games anyway. In, yeah. Uh, just in isolation, 
What would you say about the performance at the weekend? As I was, somebody... Well, so the whole occasion I was, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm still in recovery from it a little bit. I mean, I was really shocked. I was shocked. I was at Oxford for the League Cup game, and obviously that it was a cup game, but it was a, a League One cup game, and that was a shock to the system. But um, Saturday, Saturday was a real shock, and you know, got there and from the you know the front of the stadium still looks nice and the Salvation Army was playing and the sun was out and it was very cold and um, I saw you two at the at the Beacon doing the fan zone and that was great and that's such a wonderful building and you know blah 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 all that and then you go in and it I was just saying before it felt like it had sort of been gutted from the Premier League years and um, you know, it felt very... I sat in the stand in the first half. I didn't actually write that, but I sat in the stand in the first half um, and it just felt really quiet. Um, there was that sort of... The moment when the goal went in, I thought the early goal went in, the Blackpool goal, it felt like something was maybe going to happen and it never quite did in terms of... It's almost like the fans couldn't be bothered. To it was protest. almost like that. Well, we yeah. missed a goal, Stephen, so... Mm. Yeah, well, but, yes, of course but, got but, 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 but just, like... Yeah, well, I'd, well, it was weird because when we were coming in, I heard Blackpool fans singing, but it didn't sound... weren't singing like they'd just scored. And, like, when we came in, it was like, oh, it was 1-0. And, like, it was like... Because we, we were packing down from the fan zone and the yeah. doors were broken, so we had to, yeah. like, faff around, <laughs> carry gear around all over the place. So we missed the goal. Which is, uh, you know, one of the key moments. We even game. joked about it. We walked in. We says, "We're probably losing." Imagine that. And then we looked at the scoreboard <laughs> and I says, "We actually are losing." We're all losing. <laughs> like yeah. five minutes. Yeah. yeah, and and a lot of people before the game had sort of said, "Oh, if it goes wrong today, it'll be toxic. It'll be toxic. It'll be really toxic. You'll get a shock. It'll be toxic." And it never became toxic. And I wonder if that's because people sort of react to that when it's expected to come. Sometimes people sort of react to that. I don't know, but well, so. In terms of the actual game, it's funny because people are talking about that performance like it was one of yeah. the best so or there, better yeah. performances under this management. So aside from Tranmere and maybe Shrewsbury, um, that was probably the third best we've played. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how bad it is. Yeah, I mean, and people, you know... You know, you know, Mickey made a good point, you know, saying like, you know, if you're a, on social media, I try and articulate it for him, um, if I can, so apologies, Mickey, if it's if it's badly articulated, but it's like saying, you know, if you're a student who's expected to get A's for your exams and then all your, you know, mock, mock exams, initial batch of them return U's, and then the next batch, you know, your best result an F, you're not going to... It's going to, people aren't going to go. Oh, well done! That was better than you. I mean, if 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 you your actual you, results have been that bad, presumably been getting drunk loads and taking drugs, which would be preferable no, to watching um, Sunderland because I've got to drive to the game, so I can't oh, even right. do that. It's just no. But I'm talking about your very tortured analogy. All oh, right, students. okay, all right, okay. It's a very poor prediction by somebody who said you're going to get ears and you get yours. Well, but let's be honest: the prediction was essentially an A. You know, it was. That's true. It was. The person who's going to come in, the criteria was get Sunderland promoted, which is an A, it's an A star, really, isn't it? Um, and it's on the record that, and <laughs> you know, at the moment it is a, it's a U. I mean, it's a massive U. You know, it really is. I mean, we haven't won a game since start of November. Um, 
and yes, people will caveat it with, well, yeah, there's been competi- you know, all competitions and oh, it's good to go out the cups and all this. Well, we've been out, we've got been not out of three cups, and it hasn't improved the league form whatsoever. So, if anything, it's got worse. I mean, he was put right under pressure from day one, wasn't he? With that, you know, Sunderland were six six in the table. This is our best chance of getting up is by sacking Jack Ross, and it doesn't leave any room for. Leeway, but what so? Yeah. But, 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 he, but that's a job he's applied for, yeah. wasn't oh, it? And, no, and, 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 no. and surely, when he's sitting there in the interview, he's backed himself to do that. No, I'm. I understand what the remit is. You know, yeah. there's, there's no, nobody could have been under any illusions of what was expected. Um, now the owner might decide to come out and and play that down, and they even suggested we overachieved last season, which was nonsense. And the message changes every two minutes because they go from saying we overachieved to saying well we set a hundred point target and. It's back and forth and back and forth, but he surely backed himself in that interview. And if you're not up for it and you don't have the character or personality for it, then leave it alone, surely. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the you know Saturday. Obviously, it was highlighted in your piece, which I wasn't aware of the reason. But if the reason was, then it was in quotation marks. I'm assuming that's the one you were given that Phil needed a break from. Well, that's what. So, Steve, so this, that's what Steve Parkinson, Parkinson, yeah. in case anybody doesn't know the context of this, is that Phil Parkinson now decided he, d- he didn't come out and and face his media duties at the end of the game because he was tired. So he needed a break. That was what. That was how Steve, it's a, it's Steve a, Park it's, and... It's, my, infu- my, it's absolutely infuriating. I can't believe that this is just... I mean, I think it was... I think, I think <laughs> I'm, lost, I'm, I'm genuinely lost for words. I, I think on... Well, so was he. So... <laughs> um, I think he. I think it was a bad decision on his behalf. I mean, I do think that was a bad decision. Decision is it the biggest thing in the world? No, in the sense that apparently he did this every now and again at Bolton. You know, Jack Ross didn't do pre-match presses before cup games or before mid-week games sometimes. But that was just. The- but everything has its context. Everything has its own context. It had been a really difficult week for the club, and it you know not not a not a great result even if the performance had been better and there's not another game until boxing day so sort of saying you need a, a break doesn't doesn't wash and you need you know this is a different football club in a difficult moment and you do need leadership and sometimes that is about perception and that might be the only thing it's about but he should have been there he should have been there so i mean i'll contextualize this comment in a little bit um but there does seem to be this it's it's like it's being set up for a well whatever I say it doesn't matter because it'll get picked to pieces, um, and I'll, I'll speak more a little bit about that later. Him in particular, him just generally. That's what I feel. That's the vibe I'm getting. It's like well, it doesn't. I'm damned if I do. I'm damned if I don't. So if I come out and speak and say I was pleased with the performance and all this, people will come out and attack me for saying, "How can you say you were pleased with that? It was rubbish." Um, so. He's not, and he's obviously not going to come out and and have a go at the players because we've established that you know the the standard that has been set is so low that you know we take a point that Gillingham is the bar. So he's not going to come out and have a go at the players in, in public, is he? Really, apart from when he did in the week when he called somebody eating a burger unprofessional. I mean, I'd rather what I'd you tell you what I'd rather see every player in that in the Mac. I'll go into McDonald's and buy them all a happy meal if they want to. I'd, then, pre- I'd prefer to watch yeah, 11 people well, eat a burger tell it, but I will it, rather than, <laughs> the you know, team. I think it's more unprofessional not to come out and speak about a game afterwards when you're the manager and you and you like you say you're in a difficult moment especially when the, the things that are worrying us obviously the, the performances and the results on the pitch are primary 
to what we're worried about. But also when we keep um, reiterating that, uh, it's not just a Sunderland thing, this, it's a certain football club that you need a manager have a bit of charisma and a bit of personality. And when, and when some of the, his ex-players are criticising him by saying he doesn't make eye contact with them and he's a bit cowardly in the way he presents himself, this is the last thing he should be doing to try and to try and defend himself against that. I haven't. Re- I know there was some quotes from Duncan Watmore saying, "Oh, the manager's been great with us all, and all this, and it's not nothing to do Duncan's with that." Duncan's nice, though, isn't he? I, fe- I feel I should take responsibility for that. Is that your fault? Is it? That is actually my fault, right, okay. because um, he's he's one of the few players I know. And so when when um, uh, when I talked to the club at the end of the game about who am I to speak to, I just fancied saying hello to him really, and I'd forgotten that he's the most positive man, human being in the entire world. And um, he came out, and God, I mean. Bless him! What he's been through in his sort of in his career, his own career in terms of injuries and stuff like that, he is just very happy to be playing, and he is one of those sort of people. I mean, this will sound horrible, and I'm not being serious. I sort of wanted a player to come out, and I wanted to make them cry with my question, so that I could record this like beautiful tragedy. And he's like absolutely the wrong person to do that. And I mean, he did make the point that he wasn't trying to say that everything was great. And you're not going to number Vera McGeady. <laughs> Well, and you do Ireland as well, didn't you? Yeah, at the yeah, time, yeah. you got the connection. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was that was probably my fault. But I mean, yeah. And so he he did take a step back and sort of say not he's not trying to say that say that everything's great. But he also made the point that you know one win things look better, two wins things look better. And I guess that's I guess that's true. It's just that those things look sort of quite a long way away I when think, you watch the team on. I think as, as well, you know. You, the reason things get picked apart, and we spoke about this before, and it's not like an arrogance or like we're trying to go on like there's a uniqueness about the football club or whatever, but and it'll be the same every way. The core support, wherever you go, you can't, you can't hit, you can't pull the wool over their eyes because they they go all the time. They live, the life is revolved around aside from your family and everything like that. The other things, the football, and that'll go for. Fans, you know, Oldham Athletic or Charlton or whoever it might be, but there's just the thing is at Sunderland, there's there's, there's might be like five thousand. It's you know a club like Oldham or whatever that would be you know hardcore support. That might be more than there's probably fewer than five thousand really, but then you know you go to Sunderland and there's you know twenty five thousand people who are the hardcore support who go every week, and that and then there's the other ones as well. And that they they're the ones you know the 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 voices are they appear louder they're not it's just as more of them and this yeah, is and, the situation sh- we're I'm, in you I'm, know I'm, people are going to hear more of the same negative stuff that they perceive to be negative from more people because you know you, but you can't hide you can't you can't hide you can't just especially if you're not getting results and and you know i'm sure it's true that he'll still be getting to grips with that because it is a different it's a different football club and it's a huge football club and so that brings with it that brings with it pressures and it brings all sorts of different things and i don't care who you are if you walk into this club you know there will be a different atmosphere to it and you know maybe you know him being tired maybe that's true but anyway, that's not the point. He should still have been there on. He should still have been there on Saturday. I mean, so in one of the people that I spoke to, kind of made a good point, which is much more, which is much less sort of rooted in fact or matches or whatever. But he sort of said it's not, it's not, it's not Phil's fault. But he he embody embody 
embodies everything that's wrong. He's a League One manager, and we don't want to be in League One. And, you know, I'm not saying that that manifests itself in anything specific, but there is that feeling about him. There was that feeling about Jack Ross, albeit nobody kind of knew very much about him, and I certainly didn't when he came to the club, but the big idea was that he's this young, hungry, ambitious manager with ideas and things like that, and the club grows with him, the club goes up with him and grows with him, and they grow together. That is decidedly not what the big idea is with Phil Parkinson. It's a, it's a, you know, no matter the length of contract he's got, he was told on day one, this is our best chance of getting up. You have to get us up. You're the specialist in this division. And as things stand, he is not showing that. And if you look at it as well, you know, again, going back to Jack Ross and the situation there, and if he was still here now and we were sixth, people wouldn't be happy about it. So... You know that even if it remained that, and at the moment, you know, sixth looks like you'd, if somebody said you can finish sixth at the end of the season, you'd snap the hands off. I mean, and we're only like four points of the playoffs, and we'll have games in hand and things like that. So it's not does not feel it. Or, it's not beyond. It's not beyond reach. But it it, it doesn't feel like a club straining for something. No, it and, it, and, no. and from the outside, it did last season. And you might you can correct me on that, but it felt. I mean. I'm I'm fascinated by this, and that sounds like I'm, I view it as a as like an exp- social experiment, and I don't. But that whole thing about last season, how it can be, albeit in the third tier, it was a it was a good season. It was a winning season. It was Sunderland's first winning season for years and years. And Jack Ross can have the best stats for winning as a manager, winning percentage. For, for just about anybody else for 50 years and at the same time he's the worst manager in Sunderland's mm-hmm. history and I think that that sort of stat sums up the things that are pulling at Sunderland in diff- all sorts of different directions That and as soon as last season finished and I know there were loads of turning points before then but as soon as last season finished I think the way it did it automatically becomes a form of crisis and it, Sunderland are not on loan from the the championship, let alone the Premier League anymore, they're a League One t- team, and the, all the all those pressures and that feeling and that stuff is still swirling around the club. I'm sure of it. We shouldn't have got there in 18 months, though. Do you know what I mean? I think that's quite a quick time to get to the point you're talking about because it's, it's yeah. in football. It's like a relatively short yeah. period. I was thinking about this before and talking about last season, and this isn't trying to be revisionist or anything like because we did have good moments later in the season as well. But really, if you think about it, since we got relegated, it was probably quite good up to sort of January, mm-hmm. and then there was a, a dip. Sure, and magic and that, goes and, and, pressure, and all that. Yeah, and the yeah, pressure yeah. comes yeah. because we need to get promoted, and the enjoyment kind of becomes yeah. it's a necessity. Then, but 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 if if the, the, se- if the season has still ended in promotion, a lot of that would have oh, been glossed over, wouldn't but it? But it didn't, did it? So, no. and, but you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. But this is what happened. I mean. Went at Wembley and lost twice, um, and you know, we, yeah, we, we had some good times on the way, but it's not like we've been down here for f- three or four years and we're saying we look, we, we are, we've been league one. Do you know what I mean? It's, no, but except, do you not think that, months? But yeah, yeah, no, no, and and when I, I mean, last season you could argue that in lots of respects it was a sort of championship team, or there was, you know, there was still a enough remnants from it to be considered like that but that is not a championship team anymore is it that is a league one team I agree and it probably was more league one than championship last season I take your point I did have people like Catamore involved frequently Oviedo was available Matthews who's playing at Charlton now yeah 
Madge Honeyman. Um, Honeyman, yeah, who's obviously gone to Hull. So yeah, you, you know you are you are right at that extent. But I would say though, is at the start of the season, if you listen to all the kind of neutral output, it was Sunderland and Portsmouth will finish mm-hmm. top two across yeah, yeah. the board. So I don't buy this whole thing that all of a sudden, well, it's the players. Yeah, the players' drop offs being disgraceful, and they should be held to account for that. But why has it happened? And you know. If if Phil, going back to when Phil Parson took the job, I'm telling you now, there's no way he looked at that and went, oh, you know what? If I get a January in the top half of the table, I'll probably be happy. You no, know, he's thinking we'll be in a similar position to where we were when Jack left, and then January I can add whatever I need to add to make them do what I want them to do. So if he's looked at that squad and he's gone like. It's not really fit for purpose the way I want to play. Can I style it out for three months until we get to January? And you know, which is what he's doing at the moment, really. And I feel as though where we are now, we've we've written off two and a half months of the season just to get to January to uh, to buy players. And, and how often? Like, and that, when when you've got the mentality, when you when you when you set that bar in your head that whatever happens in the next two and a half months does not matter because. January's the you know the holy grail. It's just not acceptable. You can't write off two and a half months of a season. And how many successful transfer windows do clubs actually have? You know when it's because it's all where we'll be all right. We'll get to January. Well, bring my January's, own players. Yeah. I mean, even the, the prime example of that. We don't have to go far back. Was last season when yeah. when Madger's contract well, when I went wrong with Madger, we sold Madger and we brought in Will Grigg or on paper proven in this league. That should be fine. We're a player and like for like, and that went wrong. And that's just one player. So if you're relying on your whole team having a massive turnaround, based on what bringing probably three or four players in tops. Yeah. No, Greg. Greg. I mean, obviously, it's you know, you have, it has to be the right player to fit the system you play and all, and all those sorts of things. But if you look at Will Grigg, he's been a sort of absolute guarantee in this division until he comes to Sunderland. Well, that is that's what happens, or yeah. you know, this. That's where footballers come to die. Exactly, that's what happens. It always happens, is you know, and then when everybody, when anybody does, you know, half decently for six months, we have to like fight tooth and nail to keep hold of them, and then ordinarily they'll be end up end up being some sort of, you know, blowout. You know, like if you look over the years, all the players who've come and actually delivered, they've lasted about eighteen months tops. You know, so look, look at Corne as an example. Yeah, he was here in the championship, but you know, he left mentally in in, oh, this, yeah. in that summer. Um, you know, you look at, I don't know, obviously Kershaw was injured. Um, you look at, you know, well, it was Kaz- it was Kazri, Corne, yeah. and Kershaw that January yeah. were brilliant, weren't they? Yeah, and, and then, then you look just at, disappeared. Yeah, over, you know, Bent. You look at there's an example of a player who came in eighteen months and then was gone. You know, Jan couldn't. You know, had a decent spell left. You know. There's, there'll be other examples of that I could pull off the top of my head if I have a think about it, but it does seem to happen that if any any player who has a, you know a marked amount of success in a short pay, space of time, like Madgers, I guess is a prime example as well. I mean, really, he'd had yeah, he'd played in the championship, but really, he had six months at Sunderland and then was gone. So we can't hold on to those players, and we seem obviously we think right, we're going to replace them with this, and we know historically that we're not very good at improving a squad. And we're certainly not very good at replacing players. I mean, we've been trying to replace Phil Bardsley for however long we've been trying to replace. You know, we didn't have a left-back in the Premier League for X amount of time. 
you know, we we, we always like we we just you know we ended up having people playing out of position at right back. Dean Whitehead, Craig Gardner, people like that. It just happened. And, and it, it just happens. You can't. It, it's very difficult to, the, to the, do it. And the interesting thing is, what do, what is the what is the strategy then this month? Is it that short term thing? Really, we're looking at the next six months, and you know, okay, so we're still within touching distance of the playoffs. So this is what we push for. And does that then reaffirm what kind of team this is? And does it then get back into that cycle of, you know? players not necessarily being fit for purpose or players not being here that are going to grow into the team. Is that what Sunderland need? Do they need people who are going to be developed and get better? Or is that sort of irrelevant in the short term? We, and haven't, we haven't got time to develop well, players. In, we can't be developing players in League One. So, yeah, but, I mean? yeah, but what does that, does that then, does that then sort of calcify being in League One? Does that make it more likely that you stay in League One? I mean, so it's a, it feels like a, massive month both on and off the pitch and it doesn't feel at the minute I mean again I haven't seen them enough to sort of really make this judgment but sitting there on Saturday it didn't feel you know you I couldn't say this feels like you could say with any sort of uh certainty that things are going to get better yeah. and equally you couldn't say that they're necessarily going to get worse you just I just didn't really feel anything I mean I didn't feel anything inside the stadium right. I've been apart from sad. Do you know I did what, feel and sad. do you know what it is as well? To be fair, the fans that did back the team like through the game, the best oh, they accord, did. Yeah. They didn't try yeah, to yeah. muster that. And after Burton, I was really surprised at how forgiving the support was of what they saw. Um, there was a little bit of booing at the end, but not much. And I just feel as though we've, you know, and this isn't. I definitely don't want to like criticize supporters for being trying to be positive, but it felt it felt as though we've like. Oh, we've lowered our bar far too low. It's pathetic, like to accept, like try and sort of try and be positive about that. And you could hear it in people's voices where they're going, "Well, it was, it was better than that, and it was better than this." It's like, yeah, but, but they're, still, they're desperate to cling on to something. It's still rubbish. It's still yeah. rubbish. It's like we're not, we're not, we're not going on a run to of winning games. But if we play that way, we're more likely to go on a run of defeats playing that way. We had what two shots on target, I think, in the game. You know, Charlie White, to be fair to him, did all right in the game. I thought the front three actually, even including Maguire, did okay. Um, but, you know, I saw, I saw um, what do you call him? The assistant, Parkin, is it? Steve Parkin. Yeah, like, you know, making comments all like, you know, we spent time working with Chris Maguire on his corners and that paid off. And that's great, but it feels as though, like, well, you're reaching for, like, these small positives. It's like, look, we are actually doing something, you know. We are actually improving things. It's like, well... You no, know. we, we, we're playing rubbish. It's another game we didn't win at home at Blackpool in Division 3. But our corners were a little bit better. Yeah. We scored <laughs> from one. <laughs> that, that's where we are, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we are. And it's, you know, it's it's just sad, isn't it? Well, I mean, they're already... They're, there's nothing, you can, nothing more you can say apart from it's It's just sad. They're they're already in the position where they're having to go from game to game and look, you know, and look look for those positives and you know, people, you know, is that he was asked, Steve Parkin was asked, you know, can that be a can that be a springboard or can that be the foundation? And obviously he said yes to that because he hopes it is. But I mean, that is that's that's the level that we're talking about. We we didn't need we shouldn't be putting foundations in after thirteen games when we were fifth. The foundations were there. The point was somebody was going to come in and bring it on, not regress it, and then have to like not smash the house down. You know, they've like completely 
you know, Father Tedded the car. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Trying to knock the dent out with a hammer and like now he's like Steve he's he's walking up in the night, Parkinson, <laughs> like screaming that he's destroyed this car. And now they have to rig the raffle in January, so to speak. Um You're doing good analogies, yeah. yeah. But that you know, that's what's happened, you know, and I mean January as well, like it frustrates me because it's a, it should be a privilege to to go into the transfer market and bring players in at this level, in particular, especially if you've got money. Well, that's related to a couple of questions we've got. And you've so got to, you, you know, you've got to earn it, and it hasn't been earned. And whatever happens in January, if the players come in and we do all right at the second half of the season and don't achieve what we want to achieve, it'll be because of the period before that window and not the period afterwards. Well, we will. Bring some of our our listeners in. We've got quite a few questions on Twitter, so we'll do that. It's people's people have got a, still got a chance, Gareth, haven't they? If they want to purchase something, from, yes, they from, do from the terrace so, um, before Christmas. So if you if you get on Twitter and um, from the terraces, if you look on their Twitter feed at the moment, they've got basically uh, the stock that they've got left um, is on offer at the moment before Christmas, basically. So get yourself on from the terraces uk. Um, and uh, check out the, what's left. You can also go to um, Port Independent in Sunderland. They've got uh, some stuff in store there, and obviously they'll continue to have stuff in, but it is nice stuff, and if you want something as a present... Last chance before Christmas. Yeah, present for somebody um, before Christmas, then it would be a lovely little present, in my opinion. Steve Nellis made a massive order, apparently. A massive order, he has, has he? He's ordered like loads, yeah. There you go. I'll probably just ruin it. Nah, nobody he's buying that for listens to this, so I haven't ruined any. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> So as, as well as everything else, you've ruined Christmas. <laughs> ruined well. Christmas. well done, yeah. well done. Steve. So you, like all of his family still believe in Santa Claus. Imagine that, and you've ruined nothing it. Nothing wrong with that, Gareth. <laughs> well, I'm saying you've spoiled it, not mm, me. So. Okay. But anyway, right. Shall we? We'll talk about the Stuart Donald thing as well after this. We will break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, so we have um, put it out to Twitter if anybody wants to discuss anything. And um, we've had a few people ask some questions. Chris Bailey with a question where his tongue is so far on his cheek it's gonna it's gonna break the skin and poke out i think um do you think after a brighter performance against blackpool we have now turned a corner and parkinson has silenced these doubters very creative chris well done yes i think we've probably <laughs> yeah, yeah, done that <laughs> he, he silenced himself hasn't he anyway yeah yes yeah yeah the power of silence I'll just i'll just repeat that joke yeah 
Um, a lot of people are saying, Stephen Scott's saying one of them, on a scale of 1 to 10, how effed are we? 1 being Man City and 10 being Bury. <laughs> Do people want to put a number on it? 7. Um, yeah, I mean, it felt... It felt... 10 was the worst. I mean, it felt like a 10... Hang on, is that right? Yeah. Bury, Bury was a 10. We're not, yeah. we're not Bury yet. No, I, no, it felt like a 10 to me because I was so shocked, but clearly it's not It's not a 10. And no, I mean... You know the club's not in that in that in that position, thankfully. Matthew Jackson, one of many <laughs> many people, George. I think just because of your presence has inspired this question, and because of the piece you've done. What's your thoughts on the lack of coverage in the local and national press about the current state of Sunderland? Is it because they own League One and they don't think it's worth covering um, the poor ownership, the poor results? Yeah. So I didn't really answer that at the start, did I? Um, Yes, it is. It's it's because of the division the club are in, and that's that is not right. And it's not what about journalists putting a personal opinion? I think that's what a lot of people get at. So, <clears throat> well, let me, let me finish that quick to... quick bit. So, national papers won't give League One games automatic coverage. In fact, they won't, and they don't do that. And the, the time certainly didn't that they didn't do that in the championship. I couldn't go to a championship game on a Saturday unless there was something startling about it. They would cover Sunday games on a Sunday or a weeknight. Some of them but they wouldn't send staff automatically. And so um, that is the way the game has changed. Um, but League One is proper no man's land. And so, um, as I said, that was one of the reasons I was looking forward to my new job because it gives me a chance. I mean, I, and I, the reaction to the stuff I've written, not be, not because it's been special or, or good or anything like that, but there has been quite a big reaction. And I think that does reflect the fact that there just isn't that national type type coverage I think that's in lots of ways it makes no sense at all because you have a club like and I'm not picking on them but you have a club like Bournemouth in the Premier League who don't have a huge number of fans you have a club like Sunderland in the League One who have an enormous number of fans and so you would think that if you cover Sunderland you know you'll automatically have a readership but of course it's about the Premier League and everything else I mean I think that's I think it's I think it's short-sighted um but it is the way it's the way it goes in terms of people putting their own personal slant on things on social media. Yeah. I mean, from my own experience, one thing I hate doing is trying to be an expert on something. If I've not seen it with my own eyes or talk to people and things like that. And if you don't go to games and if you're not paying attention because you're doing other stuff, I mean, should you pay attention? Yes, you should. But you know, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of other people, but it's, it's, you know, to, to, to write the piece that I did, I didn't just go to the game on Saturday. I spoke to you. I asked for I asked for help. I went to the club and I went to the press conference. I spent two or three days around the place, and I had to do that, even as someone who's lived in the northeast all my life, just to get a sense of what's actually going on on a day to day basis. It's very difficult to to sort of do that. But anyway, I'm not going to make excuses for other people. Do you think that the um, the way that your media has changed in the last few years? has created this problem whereas obviously you're in a very different situation now at the Athletic but generally the way papers are run now do you think that might have an effect on things because it seems as though now the main I know that they'll probably and we have people on here and they'll probably if they ever listen to this they'll probably think I'm going to come and pan your head in but um, clickbait um, which you know things like that live blogs you know and obviously this identikit rollout of certain setups for newspapers you know like trinity mirror for example mm. and 
you know, JBI probably the same in that we need, this is what we need to make the paper sustainable. So we're going to, this is what we need. This is what we're going to drive stuff to here. We're going to drive stuff, you know, through this kind of content. And then when it actually comes to the, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, almost the social responsibility of a, of a local paper kind of goes out the window because like, that's not the, that's not the bread and butter anymore. It, it's for, it's to generate revenue through advertising rather than having that sort of pastoral role. And I don't know if that's the right word in, 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 you know, look at the Chronicle to be fair. And we've kind of laughed at the Chronicle a little bit, the way they've gone about things. But I do feel as though like, you know, why isn't what happened? Why isn't what's happening to us? Why isn't that on the front page more regularly? Because it's such an, the football club, such an important part of the city you know, it's it's massive for everybody, and it, it when I think, you know, when Sunderland do well, everybody does well. The pubs do well, the bars do well. If we're in the top flight, there's more people in the city centre on a weekend because you're attracting more people, you're attracting larger away following. You know, there's more people in the pubs watching the game on the television because it's on Sky, all that kind of stuff. And do you think, you know, I've not rambled on a little bit, but do you think... I that, can't remember what the question yeah, is. But do you I'm think, singing songs yeah, in my own head now. But, but do you think that change in approach from newspapers has maybe it's altered ch- the way it's changed that, the land- you know, it, Yeah, it's absolutely 100% changed the landscape. I mean, I'd find it very difficult to... I mean, because you would see that much more about Sunderland on a sort of day-to-day basis. I try and keep... I do try and keep the rest of it. I think there were some really good journalists who cover the clubs. My own, yes, I was I'm very... Not, I'm not disputing that, by the No, way. no. And, um, but a general a general feeling, the same applies to Newcastle, the same applies to, to, to Middlesbrough as well, that the good stuff gets lost in this sea of... Five reasons. Vomit. Why. Everything yeah, gets yeah, vomited yeah, out yeah, onto yeah. the internet. And... Um, you know they they're having to do that to survive, yeah. and um, that's a shame because you know it obviously has a place and people do click on it. But it, for me, that's not journalism, and there is too much time being spent, sort of uh, you know writing about what the manager will be asked about at his press conference, and then you know churning everything out that he does say. Firstly on Twitter, then in a piece, then on videos and things like that. It's not something that I want to to look at or read, and. Um, you know, it's very difficult and it's very difficult to look at pages of newspapers online now. It's just really difficult to look at it. And then at the same time, you've got a historic, brilliant, wonderful community asset that is the Sunderland Echo that now can't even get nighttime match reports in their their paper the next day. And it's, you know, you do, do feel concerned about the way things, you know, the way things are going. That's not to say they don't cover matches and evening matches very well because they do, but it's the the face of our industry is changing and I suppose it's happening at a time when Sunderland has changed a lot. Um, you know, is there a knock on effect or a correlation between the two things? I don't know. I find that I would find that sort of difficult difficult to argue. I know that the good journalists yeah. doing good stuff are still are still there and they're doing you know, they are still doing it, but it becomes, I think it becomes much more difficult to see it and differentiate it because sort of everything has to get put out there. There's probably just, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was more bureaucracy around the approach than there probably was before, just because of the way the industry's changed. And again, say, you know, for example, Phil comes in, he's great, you know, great writer and there are some really good, really good ones. And, 
it, and it's not you know I guess James Hunter's probably lucky in a way because he can just kind of do what he wants in a way because it's like he's done it for such a long time and it's it's essentially a Newcastle paper so it's almost like he's got a little bit of free reign it's, it's pretty good for him really but and this isn't a criticism of individuals it's more of a criticism of the the process I mean you guess somebody, they might argue well you're you're a blame really because you're the one you're the one making it this way because you're either not buying papers or you're or you're clicking on the stuff that we're putting out there, so we're going to keep doing I mean, it. I if think you keep, I th- on, like, if you keep honestly, on looking at it, I think if the industry could turn the clock back twenty years and think about it again, and think about how we did things again, I'm sure we would come to it. I mean, I'm I'm lucky. I came from I'm lucky in the sense that I came from a paper that uh, was already behind a paywall, and at least at least that's I think I think that's more honest personally. I mean, nobody likes it, and nobody wants to pay for it, but. Um, there is a value, and the same same applies now. There's a value in actually reminding people that it costs money, and it actually costs real money to send journalists to places. You know, whether it's covering games or doing interviews, or you know, I've spent if I've spent two two and a half two and a half days or three days covering Sunderland, then that, you know that's my time, and it does cost money. You either pay for it in cash, or you pay for it in ads and clickbait and all that kind of stuff. Um, as I say, I think if we could turn the clock back, I think it would be done a bit differently. Ian Lyons is asking just a bit of a key change. Um, <clears throat> no, sorry about that, I've ruined the No, podcast. no, yeah, well, that's the name of the episode, Gareth has ruined this podcast. Um, why are we wasting money fixing lifts and speakers instead of improving the playing staff? So this is related to the £10 million investment. It's a lot of money in League One. If they don't use it in January... That tells me that this is the root or the cause of our failings. Without success on the field, everything else is irrelevant. I mean, we don't know exactly what. The well, to be fair, we haven't. To be fair, on the other hand, we haven't had January yet. No. So on January thirty-first, I'd be surprised if that ten million quid's been spent. Yeah. On that January would be very 30, worrying yeah. if that on was January thirty-first. That's when they'll. That's when the judgment will be made. I mean. In terms of from the outside, the stadium light still looks pretty good, but there are there are bits. Showing a bit of wear and tear, and I saw a couple of those bits on Saturday, which was a, a bit of a, again, a bit of a, not a shock, but sort of. So, I mean, that stuff has to be done, whether you like it or not. I mean, I'm not saying that's what I think ten million quid should be spent on because I don't, but um, it is a fact that infrastructure does have to be kept uh, kept up to date. Again, making the comparison to Newcastle, people have started posting stuff on you know, social media a couple of years ago, some of the toilets and things like that are horrible and things like that. Buildings do take upkeep. Those things are quite important. We have Billy Morgan. A few people asking questions like this today. It seems to be a bit of a, a, a topic, hot topic in relation to Sunderland. Um, would Sunderland be in a better place if we had a sporting director running the club instead of Stuart Donald? Well, everyone hated a sporting director when we had one and now everyone wants one. It's not as it's not as linear as that, is it? I mean, you need a structure. You need it. You need, but it has to be the right structure. Sunderland have done everything over the last ten years, and it's and they've got it wrong because they've either not stuck with it, they've appointed more pertinently, they've appointed the wrong people, mm. and then they've got rid of it after six months. So it's not about. I mean, it does sound to me like there's a lack of leadership within the footballing department. When I say leadership. It, simply a lack of people I mean so you do need people does it have to be a sporting director well it could be a chief executive it could be you know it could be any one of uh, of that I mean the title doesn't matter you have to have people who are good at their jobs and that is the key you just like there's not there's no you know magic pill that's going to fix it it's employing 
whatever strategy you you decide to go, whether it's just more traditional with scouts, etc., whether you go like a continental director of football, sport, and director, or whatever, you just got to execute it properly. Yeah, you've got to have you've got to have the right person, and yeah. you've got to have him employing the right people. Do, people. I think stuff like that. better. I know, think stuff like know. that's important when you get to the Premier League, certainly, because you need no. It's massively different now how you sign players at the top level, and so you need somebody with knowledge of the market, how to work the agents and stuff like that. At, at, at League One, I, I, I'm not so sure personally. I think. You need people. There was there was get some get a manager who knows who, who knows his way around the Championship and League One, and that's I mean, a starting point. I, I interviewed Jack Ross shortly after he left, and one of the you know one of the concerns that he'd had about the club was the lack of lack of support network around him. And um, you know, also a lack of scouts and and things like that. Those things are really, really important um, at a club. But again, it's not about the title. It's about it's about who they are and who's with them. I mean, Lee Congerton was sporting director here, and I mean, I've, I've made reference to this countless times. You know, he talked about when it's when Poyet was head coach or manager, wherever he was, and you know, we'll play with a Spanish style and an English heart. And mm. when when Gus moves on to bigger and better things, um, you know, we'll carry on with that. And that was a noble ambition. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that ambition, but if you're not up to it, if you're not up to it, or you sack the manager at the first sign of trouble, and then bring in someone completely different, it's not going to survive. And you know, taking those decisions are fine, but you have first of all, you have to decide what it is you want to be, um, and then you have to stick with it. Yeah, but not this. Don't stick <laughs> no, with no, it. Don't stick with not this. this. Don't stick with Twist this. On this one. Um, just finally, before we we mention the Stuart Donald thing, Sarah Jane's asking. I mean, she's asking about who would like as the next manager. Me, me and Gareth have discussed this before, so what I'll do is I'll just rephrase that to you, George. We, you, you, once Jack Ross had lost his job, what kind of manager were you expecting them to go for? Or did you think they should have went for? And you, you can name some if you want. But they've someone have employed everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, so I can't. So did you not have a name in mind? When, oh, that would be a good fit. Or well, it became be... it became pretty clear straight away that they were going for a sort of League One type manager. Um, what do you think about the idea of a former player like Kevin Phillips getting a chance? I mean, yeah, the, the, it's, it's hard to give an answer when he's never managed before, of course. Yeah, and it's so difficult to answer that. I mean, you, you've you know, seeing at the moment someone like Arteta being you know being heavily linked with with. Arsenal and other clubs and we've seen what Frank Lampard's done we've seen what Stephen Jarrett's done you know plenty of others around the place Daniel Frank um, I know he was coaching but um, Idol Karanka is a good example of somebody who's yeah. you know probably unlucky to be sacked at Forest really and had a decent spell but, even though he's probably rightly let go at, at Middlesbrough at the time he was but he yeah. still did. He still got them promoted he still yeah. did well through that period I mean it's such a difficult question to answer because again what is it what is it that you want if it's about getting out of League One, do you is is giving that to a is is a first time first time appointment is that the right thing? An ex Sunderland player, okay. Well, you need somebody to lift things, but and I mean the other thing, the horrible question is, and this it doesn't reflect on Sunderland the size of Sunderland or the size of Sunderland's fan base. You know, you want as a manager or a coach, particularly if it's your first job, you want to think that you've got a chance. And would would you come into this club at the moment thinking you've got a chance? On the Phillips thing, as I say, when the initial changes made, I wouldn't have appointed him. I would now, because the situation has changed and the requirements have changed. I think based on what we've seen, and you know, 
I, again, going back to, you know, Phil Parton's an experienced manager, and this is why we've one of the reasons we've appointed him, and one of his reasons is part of his skill set or whatever. I can't see Kevin Phillips ducking the press conference after he's, you know, had a bad run. I can't see saying he's going to go come to Sunderland and say, "Well, I would have taken the point in Gillingham." I don't think he. I don't think he's got that mentality. And sometimes that's what it comes down to, and it's about standards and dropping your standards to the extent where people begin to believe that yep. the bare minimum becomes okay. And you might be able to get away with that in the Premier League. When, You're when not the, gonna, you can't get away with that in League One. Imagine, and it's not always about um, thumping your chest. And, and you know, I, we, we, I think we, we, we're fairly modern in our, in our views of how football management works and stuff like that. So it's not always about having someone like Roy Keane. But can you imagine the players? Think about how many last-minute goals Sunderland used to go to Roy Keane because they were thinking, well, this will save us what's coming in the dressing room. And of course, it's not always about that. And I've never been one just to bring Peter Reid back at all, like what, what some people say. But however, like Gareth's saying there, when your manager's saying, oh, we would have took a point there at Gillingham and that would have been all right. The players now are leaving the pitch after drawing 1-1 at home to Blackpool thinking, he'll be all right with that, actually. And that's, and that's a, that's a yeah. problem. And, and, and conversely, I did, you know, I hope they didn't find it confrontational, but I did sort of send a message to Phil and James Hunter and, and Barnsley saying, can you ask him what the expectation is for the Blackpool game who are a much better team, who were third or fourth place in the league, what's the expectation for us if a, a point away Gillingham was acceptable? Yeah. Is it a narrow defeat acceptable to a team who are third or fourth in the league? And then you go, oh, well, you know, well, they're, they're, a better, they're a good team. You know, it was always going to be a tough game. Mm. You've got to win every team, game. Teams that weren't better than us last no, season. You've like, got to try it's, and win it's every fine game. for to go and have a good win. It might be flying. And then, like, well, Sunderland, you know, be re- where are you as a club? Well, well we can win League Two. This, when we were in the championship, we're not so. that, when we're not, you know what? Like in in the spell that between Jack Ross leaving in, you know, and now, um, Ipswich haven't exactly pulled away. Wickham have, which is like amazing, really. But they haven't, they haven't like put their foot on the accelerator. I think we're only. I could be wrong. I might be not. I think we might only be about nine points behind. Um, there's not a lot. There's not a lot between, between second and where we are. There's not so you know, you think about even if you had two wins, two more wins in that time, we'd probably be, well, we'd be in the top six. Yeah, yeah, and we'd be you know looking close to them. Stickle, you know, yeah, stick or twist. Stickle and twist. it's one, of, it's one of those, isn't it? Where you think, and and you know, in hindsight, you know, I wouldn't have appointed Phillips then, as well, and we've just brought people probably saying, yeah, yeah, you've said this before, but obviously for the benefit, the fact that George is here. You know, now definitely, definitely would tomorrow. I'd ring him up now if I was given permission. Say, do you want to come and manage Sunderland tomorrow? Still, I without, bet, still I, without permission. I tell you what, I bet you he, he'd he'd be in the car. Whose position? Whose the, permission would you ask? I don't know. His <laughs> man, text Stuart. <laughs> yeah, well, text. Well, on that, and I'm conscious of time. And, um, do you want to fill people in with with with? We we we, we invited Stuart yeah. Donald on the podcast. Yeah. He doesn't want to come on, but Gareth has been in yeah. in dialogue with Stuart. Yeah, for a week so. Or so. I'll try and bring the email up just so I can contextualise the first response. To be fair, actually, he got back to me on Monday last week, um, but it went into my junk mail. I don't know if that's a metaphor. Or <laughs> um, but, yeah. And we're not going to repeat everything that's been said because it's, no, it's, no, it's, no, it's no. a private conversation. So basically, yeah. the, the, the crux of it was he, he basically said he'd, he'd sported in the Red and White Army and answered their questions recently. Um, 
and he thinks that's a more sensible format to discuss things moving forward because it involves all the fan groups. Um, and he kind of said, well, everything that was relevant 10 days ago, which was obviously last Monday, um, so he doesn't have anything new to add, but if things change, they can revisit. That was his basic thing. But he basically said he doesn't think that coming on stuff like this at the moment is you know, the best way to... And I think he kind of, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to, you know, I mean, he, he did speak to me in length, to be fair to him, about a number of things. Um, but I think he's kind of, again, and going back to the point I was making when I said I was going to contextualise a point, he's kind of saying, well, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. I did kind of make the point I disagree with that because it's ultimately about if you're setting an expectation and you don't deliver on that, people are going to challenge you and question you on it. And that's what's happened. It's not like... It's not it's not the other way around, you know. It's basically we've been told one thing and actions have been taken based on that intention and then the delivery level has been so far below the expectation set, you can't really complain too much when people start asking you questions. Obviously It's also I mean so, again the the sort of difficult thing about that or the int- or the thing thing I find interesting about all that is that that's what he came in doing. I mean, and that that was the thing that made yeah. him different. And it, whether it was, you know, being there on Twitter and saying, okay, yeah, I see, I see your point. Get in touch. Send me an email. I'll get that done. And he did it. And they were accessible and they were approachable. And that was important at the time. And um, even as you know, even as someone as a as a as a journalist, you sort of think, oh, you know, they should be coming to papers and stuff like that. But no, they were going direct to fans, and that felt like a really interesting thing to do. The fact that they're no longer doing that, you know, then makes makes the atmosphere now. The, There's only one of them left. Well, absolutely, yeah, and the, and he's gone off Twitter as well, and 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 stuff. So it the the then is a a big contrast to how it was when they arrived and so that does feed into that narrative too that it's not the same as it was or they're not delivering what they said they were going to do or they're not you know all that kind of stuff i'm not saying that's fair on or or otherwise but it does change you know it does change it and you know i've seen other 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 people sort of question the point of him even appearing on on um on shows like this because of the stick that hosts then get and that the shows then get and it becomes you know does that then become a cycle of toxicity or it's all it's all well this is the this is the word of the day isn't it toxic toxicity this is i don't even know if toxicity is a word it is now well it was a it was a song by system of a down wasn't it in the early 2000s but uh yeah um and it was the name of their album as well okay so but yeah so the toxic Vacation um, of uh, the football club, um, but yeah, that that is a word. There's, that's there's creep, the title of the podcast. That is creeping into sort of people's vocabulary now as a, a bit of a stick to beat people with. And I did try and sort of convey this to you. I was saying, look, you're always going to get idiots who are going to have a pop, but ultimately, if you get in your head that you think they're the, that's the that's your kind of baseline sort of analysis. Of, of supporters then you're always going to have that in your back of your mind where it's like oh well if I do this I'm going to get battered it's like no just you know forget forget all that you know vast majority of people just want to know what's going on and the reason people have be- the reason people have been so vociferous is because things have been said 
by, you know, target certainly set. Stewart, Charlie definitely, and they have not the expectations that they set have not been met, and you can't tell people that this is what your expectation is, and then when you're challenged on that because you're not meeting it, tell people that well, you, your expectations are too high, you're expecting too much. I mean, they know I need delivering. I mean, the hundred points thing. They say stuff. They've said stuff, and I did again tell tell this to him when I was speaking to him. Look, you you keep saying these things, and as soon as you say that, that is it. You can't say bombastic. You make bombastic statements, but you're not backing them up. So you need you you know you you can't expect people just to go. Oh, well, you know, never mind because we've you know. We could be 14th in League One by the time we, we you know, kick a ball again. Um, so maybe we should be c- congratulating Phil Parkinson for saying less. <laughs> well, delivering, delivering, saying, but delivering. But, no, we're pleased with the draw. But the crux of it is um, that he's not going to come on. Um, and we have asked, and you know he was willing to have a conversation with me. Um, texted him, I've emailed him, was going to call him, but he couldn't find the time because he was busy last week to speak on the phone. He didn't. I don't think he had wanted to have a protracted conversation on the phone because he said, well, I've already spoken to the Red and White Army. And I get the feeling that that's the way he wants to He wants to do things now. He wants to go through the Red and White Army and do it, which, you know, I would argue is not a bad thing in some respects because the guys, you know, especially, you know, the, the committee very well versed in how to approach situations and they've done a good job previously even though some people sort of go well well what do they actually do it's like well you don't you don't know you can't just go into situations with your boxing gloves on and start you know swinging you know you've you've got to go in and you know it's a relationship Mm -hmm. you know and and again because of the nature of the way that conversation went we can't we can't tell people everything that was said because it was a private conversation we've got to respect that uh, I think it's okay for us to just finish and say that unless something's dramatically changed in terms of the manager position, I wouldn't be getting. No. You, I wouldn't be getting. I wouldn't hopes be up. thinking that. You're I wouldn't be getting be your hopes up if you think uh, there's going to be a change made. So. Um, what I would also say um, is that he did say if we want to take questions from people and then relay them to him, and then he will answer them. And then we can relay those answers. He would be open to that. My personal view is, I don't think that's. But like, I mean, I mean, we can put it out there, and if people would like to do that, that's fine. But my personal view is, I don't, I don't think that would be of. Provides a possibility and leave open answers. Then, doesn't yeah, it? and yeah. I think, I think then that he's probably going to create more problems for himself doing that. Um, you know, and we're not, we're not nasty people. We don't want to like get into somebody. We don't want to like it, it's pin them to the wall. We're not like Paxman. You know what I mean? You are, it, you are terrible, terrible yeah, human yeah, beings. Yeah, it's point, but it's pointless doing that unless you can have a follow up question. Exactly. Yeah. There's no point interviewing somebody because on something like this unless you're going to ask a follow up question. But you know so. that, that if that's if that's what people want to do and that's the format he wants to deliver, my argument would be that's probably less beneficial to him because it leaves himself open again to more questions. Like, well, you haven't answered the question properly, so he's got to decide whether or not. That's good for him. My personal view is you're better off having a conversation with somebody. We've done stuff with them before. You know, it's not. It's not. This is the situation at the moment is, and the reaction of supporters is not the doing of the supporters being unreasonable. It's a situation created by other people that we are reacting to. And if you are going to continue to say things that you can't back up without substance, then you are always going to get questioned on it, and especially when you're losing every week. And that's the situation. So, 
it'll just keep happening until it gets better on the pitch. And like people might go, well, yeah, yeah. And things people are quieter when when things are going well on the pitch. I've never I've never seen a reaction as bad as this to a spell of form from a manager ever. And and that is the that's the alarming thing. And and I mean, you know, but- I know I know what you're saying about. Like I've kind of, and I'm not want to include lump you into this, George, because we've spoken before when you know at the game, and I remember under Moyes we spoke. I think we we played Arsenal, and we kind of had a chat. Now we're saying I would sack David Moyes now because of the feeling, and the feeling's the same. It's just on a slightly smaller scale. Yeah, and and I've got respect for that. I mean, I you know I I don't watch the team every week, and you do, and so that has to be you know you're you're in a position of um, you're in that position, and you can make those judgments. I can't. I mean, like. I think most rational people taking a step back and looking at the situation, you would always say changing managers, yeah. you know, blah, 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 knee jerk, blah, blah. And I've said all that, but at the same time, there are times when it's just wrong. There are times when it's wrong. And if you've made the wrong decision, then there is a case to be rectifying that decision. There is a case to rectify that decision as quickly as possible. As I say, I've not been around the club enough to form a judgment on that, but clearly lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people do. And I respect that. I respect that because you're watching it week in, week out and you're right in the thick of it. And that, uh, I think that's a sad thing sometimes again, going back to when I don't want to like flog a dead horse, so to speak, but you know, it got, I've used this expression before, but it does annoy me when like the nationals turn up for the funeral and that's how I describe it. And like, you know, they come to the Burton game and they're all out in force and it feels like you've just got, you know, a lot of new people coming who haven't been around telling you how, like, it's like some people have come down from head office and, like, told you how crap you are, crap you are as well instead of your own line manager or something like that. It's like, I don't need to hear how crap we are from people who haven't been here and they're only here to see us die. And that's what it felt like last season. And it's, I mean, in a way, I don't know if it's good that people haven't been back, to be honest, but that, that's what it, that, and that's not a go at you. And I no, and I, no, but I, I understand I can, where you're coming from. I completely get of, that. I completely get yeah. that. And there is a feeling, there's definitely a feeling that the club's been ignored. I mean, and uh, and that the plight's being ignored and that no one cares and all that sort of stuff. I completely get that. And yeah, that's why I felt it was important to be here this particular weekend. Um, to get there just before the death, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I was there when uh, I was there. I like came the to the hospital. Death. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, um, no, but that's um, but no, and I, I completely, I completely get that. I mean, I would say it's the that is the kind of fault. That it's more a fault of the industry than yeah. individuals. No, I agree. But but I, I, I can certainly understand people being really pissed off about that and hurt about it and upset about it. And you know, you do want to feel that you do want to feel that you're being noticed, if nothing else, and. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's nice when people come and don't laugh at how bad we are. They actually empathise and go, "God, this is really bad." And it'll always be worse at some other football club somewhere else. But you know, that's the way it is. But you, you want to make sure you don't get the stage where everyone's turned up at the funeral, going like the Berry situation where it was too late and people were eulogising about them. And you're like, "Well, look, come on! Like this has been going on for a long time, and nobody said anything, and now everyone's really sad that they're gone." I'm not. I'm not saying we're there yet. But you've got to be. This club's not sustainable in League One, and if we're in two, three years in League One, you know we're probably more likely to go the other way than we are to go up. And that people have got to switch on to that because you know the club's a Premier League. It's a Premier League infrastructure that has to be paid for, and there's yeah, no and, rev, there's and, not the revenue streams in League One, or uh, you know. And, and and there was a lot. 
you know, there's a bit made about the attendance of the weekend. I mean, 24,000 season card holders in this division is extraordinary. But that crowd, you know, the crowd and, you know, some, everybody does this now, so that's fair enough. But, you know, it was nowhere near 30,000. And will there be 24,000 season card holders in League One next season? I mean... You know, and and I can give you the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, and and you know that is the that is again a concern, and that is a worry that. And I spoke to I spoke to a, a mate of mine who didn't want to be named um, before the game, the season card holder, and it is that she she was sort of saying, I mean, she said she'd probably be back next season, but she said, I don't know why I'm here, and the reason I'm here is because I've got nothing else to do and things like that, and this is what I do on a Saturday and things like that, and. That's fine, but if you're reaching that point where the football gets in the way, and you see this everywhere, it's not just Sunderland, but if you get to the point where the football is getting in the way, that is proper danger sign, that's red light flashing, because, you know, there will come a point where people start walking where people start walking away in, in, in bigger numbers and then the club becomes something else again. Do you want and to have you battle less yeah. and less with the children who go off to support other teams? You don't you don't force it on yeah, them anymore. That is yeah, another, you, that is another, you lose you lose a gen, you 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 risk losing another a, a generation. Yeah. So on that, actually, sixteenth of January at the Peacock, um, the Red and White Army having a sort of open meeting. Um, if you go to the Red and White Army website, um, you can register for free to go to that meeting. So I'd suggest if you've got you you know you want to share your concerns, you want to vent and make sure that your voice is heard. And it's collated and taken back to the football club. If 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 that's the way that Stuart wants to do his, you know, communications, then that's your opportunity to ask those questions. Um, so, sixteenth of January next year at the Peacock, um, go to redandwhitearmy.co.uk and uh, sign up for that. And you know what's a great way to sort of get over your football blues? Retail therapy. So go from the terraces.co.uk and buy yourself some of their delightful um, tops that they've got available. I think they're um, on social media um, at Terraces From. They are on on Twitter. If you go there, they've posted a, a picture today of all the stuff they've got left. Basically, if you want to get something for somebody before Christmas, and obviously after Christmas as well. If you go and buy stuff online, use the code WMS10 to get ten percent off. And in town, they've got some stuff. Left. Oh yes, Port Independent. Nice in town. Thanks for this will listening. be the last studio show on it before Christmas. Yes, probably. it will be. I think we're not doing a Christmas quiz this year. Are we? No, I think a couple of lads have something planned. Scrooged. So I think okay. uh, I think the influencers have got something planned right. that they're going to put out. Fair enough. So it'll be out probably next week, and then we'll have some reactions pods and that. So that will be brilliantly Christmas. Brilliantly shit. So yeah. Um, yeah. look yeah. forward to that. That's that sounds quite nasty. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest way. I possible. mean that in a very nice way. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Hence the word brilliant. They, they'll never they'll never beat the um, checker trade trophy final preview in which they didn't know any of the teams we played, any of the results of the games. So even though they went to them all, so you know. <laughs> yeah, twiddle day, twiddle dum. Right. Thanks for listening.
it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.